You can have all the Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio podcast with our new app. Just search your app store, uh, Apple, Android, Kindle. We don't care what you use. Search the app store for Explorations Early Learning. Download the app. Give it a try. Cue the accordion. I've always wanted to say that. Kick back and get comfy while hosts Heather Winnig and her co-hosts from the Early Childhood Nerd Collective explore ways to cause and effect. Dig that funky accordion. Welcome to Cause and Effect. I almost made it without laughing, Tiffany. Um, I'm Heather. This is Tiffany. That's me. Hey. Hello. Hello. And we are bringing some John Dewey to you today. Oh, yeah. Because Tiffany and I both love him. And love decimal systems? (laughs) Uh, Not. Wrong, John Dewey. Not the decimal system guy. Not not John Dewey. His brother, John. (laughs) Are they brothers? I don't think so. I don't think so. No, <laughs> I just um, I don't I don't know. I'll have to wait till the drunk history episode comes oh, out. Oh yeah, and That's then I'll know plan. more about the Deweys. Um, no, plan. I don't think they were brothers. John Dewey. Pioneer. I have a huge crush on John Dewey. Yeah, he's my. If I could bring anybody to a dinner party, who is dead, it would be John Dewey. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, mine's Ooh. always Bob Hope. <laughs> But if we were at the same dinner party, I could still talk to John Dewey because he'd be your guest. Yeah. So I could still pick my pick and talk to and John Dewey. I would get John Dewey. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's the plan. Um, but anyway, he wrote a lot of books. He wrote a lot of books. He was Whoa. sort of progressive. Can we talk about time. how many things he wrote? Not just books. I think he's progressive for now. What yeah. how many what else did he write? Uh he Not just books. did a lot of lectures and books oh. and articles, and I I think of him as like the OG blogger because he just like wrote a like I read in this book that we're yeah. gonna quote from in a moment, which is yeah. called. Uh, oh, I always do it backwards, so I want to look at mm-hmm. it. It's called the School and Society and the Child and the Curriculum. That's the one I have too. That's the one. Yep, that's the one. Uh in the forward to that, it says that a bibliography of John Dewey's work would take 192 pages. Oh, my gosh. Whoa! That's a lot of writing. Yeah, dude likes to write. I think that's passion. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we can safely say he felt strongly about yeah. the rights and needs of children. I think so. And educators. Yeah. Yeah, and so. And thinking but... about thinking is just, mm, scrumptious. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so have we mentioned that we're nerds? <laughs> I don't know if the listeners have caught on to that yet. Push up your glasses yes. when you say that. Yes. <laughs> um, Tiffany and I do a lot of just like sending each other pictures of things we've underlined in the yeah. books. <laughs> they should have a whole app for that. Like want to send your friends pictures of nerdy things you found. Here <laughs> you go. It's almost snorted into the microphone. <laughs> Okay, let's bring it back. Okay. Um, so that, this is the quote. Uh, this is the quote. Ready? What? No, I'm not ready. I'm oh, still okay. doing build-up right now. Oh, all right. We'll this go. book should be required reading for every stinking teacher training program ever. Formal or non-formal. Formal or non-formal. 
it should be required because it makes you think about your role as a teacher in such an interesting way and the role of the school and the role of society and the role of the curriculum and like, oh, guess what? There are also children involved in this. Like, ah, and it's not very long. No, it's not very long. Pick it up, Um, read it, underline every single word because it's one of those kind of books. It is one of those where it seems like um, I would save a little time by only highlighting the parts I wasn't all that interested in thinking about anymore (laughs) (laughs) instead of highlighting all the good stuff. Suddenly I'm folding down every single page. Yeah, I get to a point at about page eight and I'm like, (laughs) I'm just coloring the book yellow. (laughs) It's a coloring book. It's an adult coloring book at this point. Yeah. Um, And it's it's a... a (laughs) book about the teaching practice that I wanted to reread immediately and that doesn't happen to me very often uh, yeah and it's also a book that every time you read it there's a new layer of understanding so the yeah. first time you're just like oh man I don't know like what is the role of society like what does John Dewey tell me and then the second time you're like okay like let's think about how society fits into the bigger picture of the life yeah. of the child which is what he's really trying to get at and then the third time yeah. you're like there's so many layers yeah. oh so good yeah the first time really can be overwhelming yeah because there's so much depth so you it kind of catches you know certain words will jump out at me the first time through and then when I go back and do like my note taking or whatever and I take notes about what I've highlighted and why I think I highlighted it to reflect a little bit on it then it's like I just got to start over again yeah (laughs) I clearly missed another another level um of this so if you're looking for something uh, deep and rewarding, mm-hmm. immediately applicable, mm-hmm. but also continue to provoke thought and growth. Mm-hmm. John Dewey might be your man. Yep. I don't know if we've been clear about our feelings for John Dewey. You can't see my heart eyes through your <laughs> headphones, but that's all I have. We, are, we have heart eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, so can I do the quote now? Yeah, yeah. Are yeah. you ready? I'm okay. Ready. So this is the quote that we're going to go on about today. The environment is always that in which life is situated and through which it is circumstanced. And to isolate it, to make it with little children an object of observation and remark by itself, is to treat human nature inconsiderately. That's a lot. I feel like we should pause and let the listeners rewind and listen again. Mm-hmm. Will you just read it again for me? Because yeah. I like how you. Read okay, it. you ready? Okay. Yeah. The environment is always that in which life is situated and through which it is circumstanced. And to isolate it, to make it with little children an object of observation and remark by itself, is to treat human nature inconsiderately. Mm. Mm. Initial thoughts, Tiffany. I can't tell if this is a dig at Reggio or not. But Reggio wasn't a thing <laughs> wasn't yet. Wasn't invented yet. That's so. where I like, oh, got it. Like thinking about John Dewey, like when he wrote this in the picture of the world. It's like, uh-huh. oh, man. Yeah. Reggio wasn't invented yet. And so I immediately went, when I hear environment in that way, I think Reggio environment is the third teacher. Third teacher. Yeah. yeah. Well, so that's what I thought. Maybe we should just talk first about our thoughts about childcare environments or school environments. Yeah. And how teachers, how, how we see most often the adults using that, that environment. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Because mm-hmm. I've actually... Um, sort of transitioned from being the person who was really impressed with the catalog classroom mm. to kind of thinking, wait, they're living in kaleidoscopes. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe all these primary colors are a reason that they seem to be overwhelmed and yeah. overexcited. And, 
Absolutely. Um, what about adults whose whole focus is the environment and that's how they feel teachery is by mm-hmm. working on what the what the room looks like? Well, I think there are two types of adults who control the environment. There are adults who the who control the environment with this idea of like this is what a teacher does. Uh-huh. This is how a classroom looks. And there are adults that use the environment as a teaching tool yeah. and say to themselves, hey, I can't control these children, nor do I have any desire to, but I can control this environment. So how mm-hmm. can I set up this environment to better serve the needs of everyone in it? Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I want to I wanna say, when we're talking about Reggio's idea of the environment as the third teacher, I do really think the environment can part, can be a participant, can be a piece of learning, can be yeah, absolutely. aid, a teaching tool maybe. Yeah. Um, but I think it's like everything else. It's a balance. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't solely rely on this is how it's set up and I'm never going to change it mm-hmm. uh, because this is what a good environment looks like. Mm-hmm. Or, um, this is what it's supposed to be. Right. Without considering the specific children you've got in that environment right now. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you, uh, we've already gone a very different direction with this quote than I mm-hmm. initially thought. Okay. Okay. Um, when I heard this quote, I immediately thought of um, the idea that children are at home, a certain person, and then at school, a certain person. Mm-hmm. Like, you're at school. Yeah. You're yep. in this environment. This is how you are. Right. Tiffany's making lewd gestures Uh, my hand gestures got out of control for a second guys and then I stopped and laughed at it and now we can't stop Um, no Uh, I think that's a really good point because um, I I have worked with I don't know if you have but I've worked with a lot of people and I used to do a lot of work with family child care providers and I mm -hmm. saw it more um, there than I do in center settings the people were doing the work didn't think that children should be in childcare. Like their belief was that home was better. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that for some people that's true. I don't want to go down that road too much, but I always thought, well, if that's what you think, why aren't you working to make your environment more homelike? Like yeah. why is it so cold and institutional and classroomy yeah. if you think children are better off being in a home? So I hadn't thought about that in a while, but that's something that, yeah. That has rattled around in my brain. Be the change. <laughs> uh, but I know Dewey in particular is um, is known for not putting this expectation on children that they need to behave a different way in different settings, mm-hmm. um, which I think speaks to like being an authentic and true human being. You're not yeah. going to forget everything that happened on your drive to work when you walk in the door. Mm-hmm. You're not going to like, oh. Put on, I mean, some people can put right. on my work Not hat. many children. Not many children. <laughs> not many children. And not many adults will. I feel like that's yeah. maybe not a healthy practice. Right. And and it's, it's this idea that I'm a teacher, so I have to act and think and talk a certain way instead of just being I'm Heather and this mm-hmm. is how Heather talks and mm-hmm. acts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think... And maybe this isn't what you were saying, but I think that, you know, we do act differently in different environments. Yeah. Like, you know, I act differently, you know, out to dinner with my friends than I do sitting at home with my son just watching TV. Yeah. Yeah. This is true. 
or, you know, some environments sort of dictate how you act um, by the way it's arranged or mm-hmm. the way it's, it's set up or the things that are in it. Um, Ooh, so I, I think... This is a nice hmm, dichotomy we've got here. Yeah. I was trying to think about a, a bridge mm-hmm. between those two things. Mm-hmm. But I guess it goes to intention and belief, maybe. Like, mm-hmm. am I intentionally changing the way I act? And is that always necessary? Yeah. I've stumped myself. I think, well, I think when you're in different environments, you act different, huh? in different ways. Um, yeah. Just because of, you know, the environment that is a thing. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think to expect you to act a different way, at the same time, there is sort of that expectation like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to curse at work. Because <laughs> that's not part of that environment. Right. But uh, is, do we saying that but, for children, that line, like, that's a thing that adults grow into having right. that concept. Right. And maybe it's not a realistic expectation of children. Yeah. To do something differently just because they're in that different setting or because they're now in a group. When mm-hmm. at home, they're not in the group. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's not really a very natural way to live life mm-hmm. in a group of your same age peers yeah. for hours at a time. I think we've also got to think about what school looked like when Dewey wrote this. Uh-huh. It's rows of children writing scripture <laughs> with a fountain pen, right? <laughs> right. Or on a slate. Yeah. <laughs> on a slate. Like re- just reciting. Yep. Facts and crap all day. Right. School Which has changed still, a lot. I mean, but I think but there's still some not. of that. There's still some of that. And that's why he was such, when you think about how progressive this must have been at the time for, for someone to say, teachers, you're treating human nature inconsiderately. Yeah. <laughs> by expecting children to conform to the environment. Yeah. Without without some help or some guidance or some maturing. Um, and then you think, well, it's still kind of progressive and revolutionary for some yeah. folks who expect learning to look like sitting and everybody doing the same thing. And mm-hmm. that's what's pretty amazing to me is that we're how many years into it, how many years after this writing, and we still are yeah. struggling with the same kinds of stuff. Are you so looking true. to see when I'm it was looking. written? Yeah. I'm looking. I want to guess 1918, but maybe that's too early. Mm. Uh, School and Society was first published in 1899. Ooh. Wow. And the child in the curriculum was 1902. Mm. You were way off. I was so <laughs> off. Yeah. Wow. Huh. But here in that, so I was just looking in the introduction to find those dates, and right under that it says, these two books were not prepared to be read in silent closed studies by learned doctors. They were composed to be heard. They were written to be acted upon. They were intended not only to inform, but also to persuade. So we need to read it all out loud That's on the beautiful. air right now? <laughs> no, but we should keep talking about it. Yeah. And mm, other folks I love it. Should, should. So, I don't know. Um 
What do you think? So this is what sort of puzzled me when I was looking at this quote. And I, I know that I'm the one who picked it of the options you sent me. I did send but like I wasn't a million pictures of Dune. Sure, what um, isolating it and making it an object of observation and remark by itself, what he was saying there. Yeah. Was that focusing just on the environment and not thinking about the way it would affect, could affect children? I mean, is it, you yeah. know, I want the room to look cute and I want it to have lots of pretty colors. And um, I want families to come in and see the fancy furniture we have. Mm -hmm. And it's a marketing thing mm -hmm. rather than, well, how might it affect the people who who live in here all day? Do you think that's a piece of that or is that oversimplifying? I think that's a piece of it. I'm so afraid of oversimplifying Dewey. Oh, it's definitely not simple. <laughs> what if his ghost? <laughs> oh, you're haunted by John Dewey from now on. <laughs> oh. That'd be pretty sweet. I wonder if he'd record a podcast with me. <laughs> yeah, is it as simple right. as uh, anytime you separate the environment? Mm -hmm. Or is it anytime you exclusively say, oh, this is happening because of this, mm. and you leave the child out of it? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's, it's something like trying to bring it into like real life context. Now, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of conflict in the block area. Well, what if we put the block area in a different part of the room or what if we rearranged it or something without saying, you know, what do the children need to learn to be able to navigate the blocks better or. Yeah. More, you know, um, what is it about that interaction? The children are having right. in the block area that makes it hard. Is there not enough space? Yeah. Right. Isn't in a bad spot. Like, I think that those are legit questions. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's keeping the child and the child's humanity connected to the environment. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, by thinking instead of how can I change the environment, thinking how can I teach the children to do well in this environment or help them develop what they need to do well? Yeah. In the environment. Or is my expectation unrealistic? And yeah. I'm, but I've I, got. Oh, now I'm feeling conflicted because I feel like changing okay. the environment is the first thing that a teacher does. When that's something's not going step. right? Well, I depending on what the scale. Spot. If it's one argument about block towers, who uh -huh. cares? But since we're talking about blocks, I none of my kids played with blocks this year. And we've been in school uh -huh. for two months. Mm -hmm. And that was weird to me. And so we mm -hmm. moved where the blocks were and suddenly everybody wants to build with blocks again. Oh. Well, I, I mean, I do and think so that were we the need children to, telling me something that I wasn't hearing all the way. It wasn't working. Yeah. yeah. And what if you'd not been willing to change your environment? Because mm -hmm. this is how my classroom looks. Mm -hmm. This is what school is. This is, is how it's always looked. This is what a schoolroom looks like. Um, so it sort of takes me to the first two core considerations of developmentally appropriate practice. So the first one is what do we know specifically about children this age or generally about children this age? Yeah. We can use that to make some decisions. The second is then, okay, so what do I know specifically about these individuals who are with me right now and how mm -hmm. can I use that to make decisions? So mm -hmm. the way you initially set up the classroom maybe is what you know typically about four and five year olds. Yeah. But then you see, so that last year they all played with blocks. This year they're not. Um, what do I need to do to adjust and adapt to these specific children? Yeah. And the environment is part of that. 
So we need to be willing to let go of it a little bit. Yeah. Even of that control mm-hmm. or that familiarity. Mm-hmm. Um, we mm. haven't talked, we've been talking about physical environment. What about emotional yeah. environment? Oh, yes. I'm glad you said that because that is so underexamined. Yeah. I think by, by the field, by, by a lot of us, um, it's much more abstract than just the physical yeah. space. Yeah. Well, and you know, imagine if you're if you're someone who's uncomfortable needing to change an environment that's been effective for the last three classes, and suddenly this class is not effective. Mm-hmm. It's going to be even harder for you to think about. Is there something about what I bring to the environment? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's part of it too. When we when we're remark uh, making an object of observation and remark by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, is to treat human nature inconsiderately. Maybe that's, you know, neglecting to understand that humans are part of the environment. Yeah, or, that's or what I'm... to understand that. I'm just yeah. writing down that it's, when you have that blank classroom, as soon as you put a child in, in it, the environment has changed. Yes. Yeah. And so thinking about those two things... It's like the uh-huh. child has an effect on the environment, which has an effect on the child. Uh-huh. It's like one of those circles. <laughs> it's like one of those circles. <laughs> it's like a snake eating its tail. What are those things called? Circles. <laughs> I don't one know of them why that circles. Me up so hard. <laughs> oh, I know what you mean, but I don't know what that word is. Hoop. <laughs> a hoop. Oh Let's man, you're cracking me up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm gonna grim <laughs> up and do it right. Um, no, but, I yeah, think that's... you're right. And um, you know, think about uh, you know the person who's usually on your teaching team with you is sick, and you have a substitute that day. That's that. That's a change in the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, how do we use that? How do we use that knowledge to make sure we're doing the best we can? I mean, you can't stop that substitute at the in the morning and say, "So here's how it usually goes: the person you're <laughs> the person you're replacing is usually, you know, this is her tone of voice, and these are the yeah, words she uses. Yeah, this is all. So no. maybe just maybe just understanding that you need to stop and adjust as you go when things yeah. like that happen. Yeah, and thinking about how you won't. You can't recreate that environment anytime you have a new person in the room or a whole lot of kids are sick. Like that right. environment that you walked into today is different than the environment right. you walked into yesterday. Right. So, so just, just realizing that it's not just the furniture and the toys you have yeah. that make up the environment, the people that are in there, the tall people and the shorter people, mm-hmm. all people, all people, um, will affect that. So it's dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's not. You know, it's going to change and we need to be able to roll with that and be flexible with that, which is hard for folks, I think, sometimes. Um, So what about... especially hard. Um, This didn't come up in the quote, but I think it's especially hard when you have a pretty well-established classroom culture. Uh Uh-huh. Those, to me, are the hardest moments where, you know, you've been cruising along. It's like you've kind of got your rhythm in in check and everybody's going along and then you get a new student... And it's no 
foul to that new student, but it's like you have to recreate this classroom culture together. Right. Or substitute, same thing. Big people, yeah. little people, same difference. Yeah. You have to recreate this classroom culture that, you know, you can't separate it out and just say like, well, we have a new student who doesn't understand anything or how we do anything. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's yeah. starting from so scratch. So we're just going to be really rigid with that student until they yep. fall in line. So that reminds me when I was, when I was a director, um, I changed the process for children to transition from a, one age group to the next, mm-hmm. um, which let me just say that's not my preferred way of grouping children, but because of the way <laughs> the way our regulations and stuff are set up. So, you know, for example, someone in the it, it turns from who you know a two year old turns three, instead of just throwing them into that three year old room, we we broke it down into this first week they're just going to visit at breakfast time, and then the next week they'll stay through lunch, and then the next week they'll stay through nap. And so I would always have teachers saying, they're fine, though. They're fine. They're happy when they're in here. Well, the, the goal was not to test the child to see whether they were going to cry about it. The goal was you only have to learn how this affects your environment a little bit at a time. Yeah. You only have to help that new child a little bit at a time instead of both of you all and really all of you and, yeah. being thrown into this brand new situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's an example of the environment being changed by, you know, a a new child coming in or. Yeah. And thinking about how it's not, uh, that's, that's where the isolation, isolating Mm -hmm. part of the environment to me is Mm -hmm. hitting home with this quote. It's not that one child that comes in, hasn't been here all year and doesn't know where to hang their coat. It's everybody around them who also is trying to help and trying to figure uh-huh. out like, how do I negotiate with this new person? Are, are uh-huh. they going to be my friend? Are they yeah. going to hit me in the face when I try to grab this out of their hands? You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's everybody in the room is part of that environment. Yep. And affected by yeah whatever that change is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. I'm reading it again. I, I kind of want to do a thing where, Anytime it's a lowercase e environment, it means <laughs> everything in the room. And every time it's a capital E environment, it means like the teacher of the environment. Ah. Well, because that's that. okay. Oh, we're yeah. we're processing now. Okay. We're on a roll. So okay. is this <laughs> hearing our brains in real time? <laughs> is Dewey saying that the environment is on the same playing field with every adult and child in the room and to separate it and put it on a, a pedestal mm-hmm. or to ignore it completely mm-hmm. is to ignore the role that it plays in developing a school culture. I don't know. I keep throwing school culture in there cause I just, yeah. it's a hot thing on my brain lately. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. Is he saying not to give the environment too much power or is he saying, we don't give it enough. Well, you we read it out loud again. Power. Yeah. The environment is always that in which life is situated and through which it is circumstanced and to isolate it to make it with little children an object of observation and remark by itself is to treat human nature inconsiderately. Cause you can't separate the child from the environment. Right. The child is the environment. Yeah. But I don't so, know if I agree with that now that we're saying like, it out loud. 
John's shaking his head in disappointment. I wish he was here to argue about it. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, it would be. It would be real fun. Yeah. So Just, why don't you agree with it? What? Well, there, What's your camp? There, uh, okay. I don't necessarily agree with it because when you critically look at a space, at the physical space, uh-huh. and make changes and say to yourself, hey, all these primary colors are adding to stress. I need to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Is that putting more weight? Is, it, is he saying that that would be isolating the environment? Or is that a reflection of all the children in this space mm-hmm. are struggling with these colors that are very distracting yeah. and loud? No, I, I think that's connecting the elements of the environment. That's connecting the colors and the children. Okay. So it should Thinking be... Thinking in that way. A circle? Is that the name of that shape? A circle, yes. Between the child and the like environment. This. And I almost feel like the teacher should be in there, too. Yes. Child teacher. Oh, I, I agree 100% circle. that the teacher should be in that, too. Okay. Um, because honestly, I, I don't think that the adults in classrooms or family child care homes or whatever your setting is mm-hmm. always understand the effect that that sort of institutionalization or fear of, of change or flexibility affects you day in and day out. Like, I, I don't think that yeah. we spend enough time thinking, I'm so tired at the end of the day. We automatically attribute it maybe to children or challenging behaviors or the coworker who who stresses you out and drives you crazy. But it could be that the the colors and the space and the crowdedness or whatever mm-hmm. is what's making you so tired at the end of the day. Yeah. We, we don't understand our connection to the environment all the time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> This is why I love John Dewey. I don't ever, I always leave saying like, oh yeah, oh, I don't know. How do I feel? I don't even know how I feel. Yeah. Hmm. And I think really probably most of the quotes that we've done on, on this podcast have been pretty, yep, we agree. (laughs) We're, that's right. And here's all the things that we can talk about that are definitely connected to this. Yeah. And this one's pushing me just a little bit harder. I like it. I like it. Yeah. So. I like it. Um. I hope that people who listen put some comments on so we can keep it going. Like, what do they think about this? Or how do they interpret it? Or um, Did you just read Dewey for the first time? Tell us. (laughs) Yeah, tell us your thoughts. That's another thing about Dewey that really stresses me out about picking quotes Mm -hmm. from him, FYI, is that (laughs) what if he, like, three pages later said the thing that clarified exactly where he was going with this? Yeah. Because so we pull happens. it out of the context yeah. and make it I think he's very easy to pull out of context. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at it again. And that, so I'm looking at the beginning of it now more. I think I've, I've been focusing on the end part of the quote more so far. But so it's the environment's always that in which life is situated and through which it is circumstanced. Yeah. Let's unpack that a little bit. Ooh. I mean, is that just saying you can't separate your life from the environment you're in? Because it affects you or... Yeah. I guess I was trying to figure out what he meant by, you know, it's in in which life is situated. You know, this is... You know, so so I talk about with, with new teachers, especially like when I'm doing orientation stuff with new hires, um, every, every minute of the day that a child is here is just as important to me as any, you know, so if, if you're helping them wash their hands for the 15th time that day, 
their quality of life in that moment is just as important to me as when you're sitting in a group time or whatever the other things are when you're doing that activity or going on that field trip. Um, But I don't think we always see it that way because we see it as the stuff we've got to get through to get to the real stuff. Mm -hmm. So, so maybe that's part of, you know, what life is situated in this environment. Let's think about this in terms of children's lives are being lived with us in these childcare settings rather than this is my classroom environment and this is my schedule and these are my expectations. Would that, would that change anything for, for a person to to shift that thinking? Yeah. Cause I don't think we always think of it in terms of, um, you know, what kind of, what kind of life would you want for this child is a different question than what's a good early learning environment for three-year-olds. Yeah, very different answers. Those are very different things. Those two things, but they should be the same thing, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and is part of that our desire in early childhood to be seen as legitimate professional teachers? Mm-hmm. So we feel like we have to focus on stuff like how the environments in ra- arranged and how it looks and what we have in it, mm-hmm. rather than yeah. So what's the quality of life for? Everybody in here, not just the kids, me too, as a teacher. What's the quality of life in this classroom together? Yeah. Yeah. That worries me a little bit. Now your brow is wrinkled. Um, it's real wrinkly. <laughs> <laughs> now, so when you, when you talked about the child being situated in the environment, now I'm yeah. like seeing everything from the child's point of view, just like I'm in the car and then I'm at the entryway and then I'm in the school and it's not that like they they don't compartmentalize those things right and yeah as grown-ups that it's still hard to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we you know we are whether it's because of the way our brains have developed or our, the cumulative effect of our experiences we're able to say okay this is work and that was home mm-hmm. I think a young child it's just this is my life yeah this is what yeah. I do Every this day, is my life, and um, so how how do we how do we honor that? What do yeah. we, how do we how do we make sure that we are being considerate of human nature? <laughs> to bring it back to the quote, yeah, mm. because that is such an adult way of thinking to say, yeah. "Oh, we're at school now." Yeah, I don't. I mean, even we can say that school. to a child, right? Yeah. yeah, we don't say those yeah. words at school. <laughs> yeah. That's another one. Yeah. You you know, adults, we can say that. Yeah. We don't say those words at school to yeah. each other. For kids, that's really hard um, to make that shift. Um, or, you know, I think about like rough and tumble play. We don't play like that at school. Yeah. Well, I don't care if your dad does it. Yeah. We're not going to do it here. And I kind of wonder, though, at what point is that teaching a kid how to be in society? Hey, you don't show your butt to everybody at school. <laughs> Like, well, you don't I moon think, your friends. Yeah, I think we can. Do st- I'm not home. saying free for all. Um, <laughs> you know, if you run naked at home, you run naked at the center. But so we can still, we can still talk about. You know, no one here wants to see your butt. Well, mm. that might not be authentic. I don't want to see. I your don't want to see your butt. <laughs> um, but that's different than saying this kid is a bad kid because he doesn't keep his pants on. Mm-hmm. Or, you know what I mean? Like understanding yeah. that that's just sort of a natural 
thing and we can help them do it differently or stop doing it, but we don't pass judgment because of it. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel like that made sense. Uh, I'm trying to like fit it into the environment. Yeah. This environment connectivity thing. Yeah. If a child feels comfortable doing that, then you have established a very safe home-like environment, right? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Depends on the child. Yeah. Would you say then, like, well, you have to wear overalls every day. I bought overalls for everyone, so it's hard (laughs) to expose your butt. Like, would that be a change to the environment that might be a little... Um, uh, inconsiderate of human nature? Yes. Or is it like yeah. maybe not in human nature to show your butt to everyone all the time? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. How did we get here? <laughs> I was just going to say that. Why are we all on butts now? I don't know. <laughs> I've got Tina Belcher on the brain. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Linda is my spirit animal. Me too. This is why we're friends. Um, I love to sing her Thanksgiving song. Me too! <laughs> me too! Thank you for loving me. <laughs> Thank you for being that. Yes, all the time! Oh, man. We can't yes. separate our environment from ourselves. <laughs> Do you sing that song at school around Thanksgiving time? Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. My answer is Absolutely. I kind of sing it all the time. Yeah, I know that you do. I believe that about you. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I was trying to compose myself. I was trying to compose myself enough to do a Linda impression and I couldn't do it. So now I've just lost all control. (laughs) Have we exhausted Dewey? Maybe we have. I mean, we've moved on to Bob's Burgers. Clearly. (laughs) So I think our brains have exploded a little bit with this one. This is the kind of quote that, like, let's write a term paper. Exactly. Dissecting the feelings. Yeah. I'd much rather talk to you about it. It's more fun. Right. Um, So I'm just reading it again. Yeah, I think we're probably done. Yeah. (laughs) One of our more stellar conclusions. Mm -hmm. Nice denouement we got here. Is that what Uh this is? I don't know. The falling action. Oh, <laughs> is it a circle? No. Um, okay, well, I guess um, let's let's wrap this one up. Let's wrap this here. This is what I really want to do with this one. Yes, yes. I really want to talk more about Dewey, obviously. Yes. yes. But I feel like every time we talk about Dewey, we should like reflect on previous quotes and how it ties into future Dewey, mm-hmm. past yeah. Dewey, future Dewey. Yeah. Because I think every time you read a quote from him, you you like dissect and understand something that you didn't understand something before. Something differently, yeah. yeah. So we'll definitely do some more John Dewey quotes. Definitely, get I think ready. That's the future, you know, here's here's a project I want to do. Um, at some point, I kind of want to look at like a typical childcare classroom schedule, and and think about each part of it in terms of theorists you know what, like what would john dewey say about this Ooh, i love that sure. let's uh, make that infographic so let's think about that yeah let's think about doing that yeah uh, okay yeah so i you know i just feel like this quote was a little messier than the other ones we've done yeah just because of what we said before that there's so many layers to everything he writes yeah and um and everything he does and it's so contextual so um, yeah. so hopefully folks who listen got something out of it. 
Yeah, maybe they um, got a new appreciation for reading John Dewey. Yeah, if nothing else. Yeah. Nothing so, else. Um, okay, but I think we're done. Sounds good. All right, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again on Cause and Effect. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Thank you.